Welcome to League of Lit, where we discuss books, adaptations, and anything else we wish to talk about and tie it to lit, because we can. I feel like today's episode is like our college literature class, but like very specific college lit. Like We can blame it all on my screenwriting professor, Michael Boynton. I'm going to be writing Mike, this is your fault. <laughs> I'm going to write him a letter and let him know I'll appreciate this. For the record... Sierra was not excited about this particular piece of literature being on uh, on the docket, but I convinced her to not remove it and replace it with another piece because I had things that I wanted to share about it because I learned about this in class. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I I, don't I think- could probably also blame doc- Dr. DiBiase as well because I got it from both professors in the same semester. <laughs> I don't know, but you just send me their office addresses and I'll be writing a very nice letter to both of them about how dare you make me talk about this. This is your fault. Um, but before we get too too far into it, not that we're going to spoil anything about this unless you are just have never in your life read anything, by Shakespeare. Um, it is a truth universally acknowledged that we are not a spoiler-free podcast. Blanket statement. We will hopefully not be spoiling the nonsense that is this play. But who knows? I, I don't like this play, so like <laughs> maybe other people haven't read it. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like most people have because I remember reading it my sophomore year of high school. I thankfully was never forced to read this play in school, um, mm. but I read this play because we we like Shakespeare, <laughs> and the thought process in your brain is like, I should read all of his plays. Don't do it. <laughs> no, I mean they're it's they all have you know good things and bad things about them. They're all not for everybody. Yeah, those are just facts. Well, the play that we're talking about is Hamlet. And, you know, fun fact, Hamlet is one of the many Shakespeare plays, because a lot of Shakespeare plays have been banned and placed on the banned book list. Um, this is banned because it uh, it's, um, has sex and violence and obscene language, and it references the occult. And also, because Hamlet is annoying. <laughs> The person, not necessarily the play. Like, you could take that any way you want. But Hamlet, the person, is annoying. (laughs) I mean, if we really wanted to, we could bring in a musical reference. Because something rotten kind of dives in a little bit to Hamlet. Yeah. No, that's very on on brand. Which, Something Rotten is a great musical. 10 out of 10. But I feel like that's because it's, like, satirical. On the Hamlet side of it, which is why I think I would like it, because I'm like, you're just making fun of this play. <laughs> I mean, it's an easy play to uh, to make, make fun, fun of. of. If yes. you also think about it, we could pull in VeggieTales, because they did a take on it called Omelette. <laughs> if you don't believe me, if look it up. <laughs> like to talk to tomatoes. Sorry, we don't own the rights to VeggieTales. Um <laughs> But we were both raised oh. in homes that would have played it endlessly. <laughs> I'm never going to forget the theme song to Veggie Tales or the hairbrush song. 
when I first shaved my head, I used to sing the hairbrush song to myself all the time. Why do you need a hairbrush? You don't have any hair. Facts. Okay. Back to Hamlet. <laughs> we digress. Maybe one day we'll talk about VeggieTales. <laughs> I mean, they do, they do a lot of... Uh, a lot of literature things so we might you That's never the, know the whole point really yeah so hamlet the tragedy of hamlet prince of denmark shortened to hamlet is a tragedy written by william shakespeare and it was written sometime between 1599 and 1601 it is shakespeare's longest play and i can tell you exactly how many words it is it's 29,551 words it's too many that's that's not that bad in the grand scheme of things, if you think about it, <laughs> no. the basis for a novel is 50,000 words. And think yeah. about how many novels that actually are in more like the 90 to 100,000 range. Yeah, but those <clears throat> typically uh, aren't performed on a stage. Typically. I think N- no, but they get turned into movies and, you know, they're equally as yeah. long. So. Or TV series also equally as long. I'm not gonna just read you. I'm just gonna say that this play is too long. <laughs> <laughs> there is no agreeing or disagreeing. This play is just too long. It, it's kind of whatever. Um, so obviously you have your main character, Hamlet, who is the prince of Denmark. Um, and when the play opens, his father has died. We don't really know anything other than he's died. And but the way we learn about it is the ghost of Hamlet's dad visits one of the guards on – I'm literally pulling this out of my brain. I have no, not looked it. at any of this <laughs> in quite some time. I know I know that there's a specific character, but my brain is not remembering it at all. Um, but – the ghost of Hamlet's dad visits somebody on the roof and then that person goes and gets Hamlet saying, hey, I saw your dad on the roof. And it's like, what are you talking about? My dad's dead. No, it was the ghost of your dad. <laughs> and and then they go up and the ghost charges Hamlet with finding out what actually happened to him because the ghost essentially accuses um, accuses his own brother, not Hamlet's brother, Hamlet's dad's brother, Hamlet's uncle. Of murdering him. King Claudius. And so we have King Claudius, who has married Hamlet's mom, which is its own weird situation. Very, very quickly, he was like, yep, we're married now. Cool. Thanks, Gertrude. (laughs) Yeah. Life choices were made. Yes. And so essentially like the whole like plot of the play is really Lion King, if we're really being honest. Lion King is Hamlet in animated form. And um, Lion King is better. No. <laughs> but the whole play is Hamlet literally trying to get Claudius to admit to murdering his father. Mm-hmm. And you have other you have several other characters that like we fall through like you have Ophelia who is kind of Hamlet's love interest but he royally screws it up because Hamlet is a teenager Hamlet is a teenage <clears throat> boy and does stupid things 
But what? he's doing it because he is avenging his father's death. And it's, it, it's all dumb. It's all I, I will, very dumb. I will fully admit that this play is ridiculous, but most of Shakespeare's plays are ridiculous. And so... That's true. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like... Just looking through looking through my notes from college has been quite the thing because it's been six yeah six years since I took this class. Um, at the time of recording it, it's been six years. It was twenty fifteen when I when I took this particular uh, branch of Shakespeare. It was my second Shakespeare class because I was that person. <laughs> I mean, on brand, if I had like stayed in school. I would have taken a Shakespeare class for no reason because it wouldn't have had anything to do with my major. I would have just been like, I'm taking a Shakespeare class this semester. (laughs) Um, I would have found it interesting. Yeah. But you have, I mean, you have the line, a little more than kin, less than kind. It has a little bit of a theme of like incest. And it's, it's going like in the context of the play, that particular line is, is like, Claudius trying to get Hamlet to just like accept the fact that his dad is gone and Claudius is the new king and Hamlet's like yeah no you you married my mom and this is not okay and I mean like you, there's just so many different like themes and whatnot all over the place um but my screenwriting professor used this as an example of how you like create story and do like it's the plot versus the story and there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of structure mixed in with it and so got to you know study that a little bit more and because the thing that like moves story along is conflict and there is so much conflict Mm -hmm. in Hamlet oh yeah no there's so many different little pockets of story going on that all have basis in like the same big story mm-hmm. but well, I mean, like, there's so many different characters like you're looking at the motivations and every character creates its own little bit of like sub conflict mm-hmm. but the overarching conflict is between hamlet and and um claudius they almost blended polonius and claudius together it did not work because the other thing like specifically when it comes to writing a script, really writing a story anyways, but specifically when you're writing scripts, it's the responsibility of the playwright as well as the actors to figure out how to convey this conflict. Yeah. Because, so like when people start getting upset about how different actors portray different things, it's like, it's not entirely their fault. No. Because you have directors, you have writers, like, it's not just it's not the actor's sole responsibility to mm-hmm. convey this. Everything when when you work on, you know, and it's the same thing when you're working on a play. You could watch Hamlet done by six different troops of actors and it's going to be different every single time because despite the fact that the themes are pretty much the same, what themes have the director chosen to, you know, pinpoint on? What themes have the actors chosen to pinpoint on? What moments are more important than other moments? Mm-hmm. And that's why literature, I mean, it, I mean, doing this podcast, that's why we do it. Because everybody's going to get something different 
out of a piece of writing and out of a, you know, a movie or anything like that. You, everybody goes into, that's why, I mean, that's why we have opinions. That's why somebody can go see a movie and say, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. And the person next to them is like, I love this movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, it's like one of the things that I remember it's as far as like, I guess you could say an argument. Um, it wasn't really an argument. It was just the person stating their opinion. And I'd be like, cool, that's your opinion. Um, don't really care. Uh, was after Car- Captain Marvel came out. Yeah. And for whatever reason, this particular person has something against Brie Larson. I didn't have anything against Brie Larson. I chalked a lot of what felt weird about Captain Marvel to the fact that they were trying to backstop uh, like things that have already happened mm-hmm. and failed. Um, so that's a failure on the writer's standpoint. And then the director also probably made some edits that ended up not going the way that they thought that it was going to go. And so like, it was a group effort Mm -hmm. and I don't know that we really got to see the depth of the character that is Captain Marvel. No, I mean, that's, and that's how, that's why literature and, and, movies and television it's also subjective because we're we're built to have opinions and we're built to see things differently and you know not that is the whole point of this entire thing is that I I mean even today I don't like Hamlet it's not fun for me to talk about Hamlet because he he annoys me to be or not to be you know what Hamlet there is no question just be quiet for like five seconds just be quiet use your brain but like he's also a teenage boy so I get where he's coming from not because I am a teenage boy but because like I've been a teenager and I understand the nuances and you know um (laughs) my uncle didn't murder my father and then like try to pretend it didn't happen and marry my mom so like there's a lot of different ways that people can take things and I I think the Captain Marvel one was a good one because I know a lot of people who they're, your opinions are based on different things. Mm-hmm. My opinion of Hamlet is based off of Hamlet, which, you know, I could probably look at it from a different angle. But, like, when the ca- the main character itself, I'm like, nah, I don't know about this. <laughs> and, I mean, this is, we wouldn't probably be able to have the conversation that we're having right now where we're deviating a little bit from talking about one specific piece of literature because that's... I think that's the beauty of what Shakespeare has done. And I only feel this way because of learning this from my professors and Mm -hmm. learning how it's like, okay, this is how you can look at the writing that other people have done and kind of figure out how you want to write your own stuff. And Mm -hmm. as an aspiring author, that's something that's really cool. And someone who wants to tell stories, not really picky if it's novel, screenplay or whatever, like I just want to tell the stories of characters that are bugging me in my head because that's Mm -hmm. how this works when you're a writer in case you didn't know but kind of circling back to hamlet before we get too far down the rabbit hole um essentially the super objective of hamlet is for hamlet to avenge his father's death Mm -hmm. that's literally the like core storyline central plot point it's yeah. his only motivation. 
And there are different moments throughout the play. And the to be or not to be speech is Hamlet wrestling with himself of, am I actually crazy? Or am I pretending to be crazy and getting what I'm looking for out of those that I'm trying to get it out of? Yeah, and uh, the interpretation of that speech really gives you the answer. Because honestly, I think it goes both ways. Oh, yeah. Depending on the way the actor plays Hamlet, you're going to get he's actually crazy. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to get he's playing a part. Yes. So I think that's why, like you said, the direction that everybody involved is it takes is so important. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it, it takes the actors, it takes the directors. Like the director is the one that has the vision of how we're moving this screenplay along mm-hmm. or script of whatever, whether it's stage play or movie, whatever it is. The director is kind of the one that's like pushing it in a specific direction. But at the same time, actors bring to the table what they think it is. And you find some sort of middle ground and poof, you have something on the screen and... Yeah. You either like it or you don't as an audience. Because mm-hmm. your writers are also going to adapt it differently. They're going to choose which points in different speeches and which moments and different backgrounds are Im- more important than others. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, literature is very subjective. And we could go on for hours about how subjective literature is. And we do every time we do one of these podcasts. I mean, that's... I think that's one of the things that makes our podcast fun is that, yeah, do we as podcast hosts here agree on a lot of things? Yes, but that's because that's what our friendship was built on is the agreement in certain literature pieces and not having anyone else to talk about it with. (laughs) Those are facts. (laughs) But at the same time, and it's been, I think, a fun aspect, not only for the basis of the podcast, but also our friendship that we're learning different things about like, Oh, well you really don't like Lord of the Rings. So we will probably never ever talk about Lord of the Rings. Personally, I've never read Lord of the Rings, so I don't really have much of an opinion on it, but you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff where it's like when we talk about what we're going to put on the podcast docket to see, oh, I think we're going to do this book at this time of year or that book at that time of year. Or maybe we're going to actually like talk about something that isn't technically literature, but we just want to talk about it. So we so we will. Mm-hmm. Like when we talk about that, that's when we start to kind of see it's like, oh, well, maybe our tastes aren't exactly as similar as we once thought. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the basis of our tastes are similar, but like, that's because we both grew up reading the sort of the same classics. A lot of our taste differs um, more modern. Yes. We have, we have slightly different tastes when it comes to the modern, uh, the modern literature world. Every now and then we, we differ on some of what is deemed as classic. Cause I think yes. you're a fan of Gatsby. Yes. I'm not. You never I mean I had and a again, hard time. that's another I had a hard time getting through it in high school. But I mean <laughs> don't know even if I feel then, dif- 
Because like, I don't know if I'd feel differently now, like reading it as a 29-year-old yeah. versus reading it as a 17-year-old, but I, I'm i not jumping to try and read it again. Yeah. And again, I don't even know – I mean, while I think that's probably considered a classic on the, on the basis of things because, you know, it is more than 100 years old. Um, not more than 100 years old. Almost 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily know if I put it in the classics category. But, uh, yeah, I get uh, that, that's all subjective, too. What is considered a classic? <laughs> 20 years later, we might talk about Hamlet. <laughs> but if you think about it, even from an extent of, like, movies, there are certain movies that people consider to be classics, but that varies upon person. Yeah. There's very few things that is universally considered a classic. Yeah. We're just dismantling our entire podcast today. <laughs> are we talking about Hamlet? Or are we <laughs> going to dismantle literature? I was honestly in open to whatever today. direction it ended up taking with Hamlet I being the vehicle really with well. which we used. <laughs> um, which reminds me of uh, in high school, my chemistry teacher was like, I'm going to teach you how to study, but chemistry is the subject matter with which I'm going to teach you how to do this. And to an extent, what my playwright professor did was like, well, I'm going to teach you how to write a script, but we're going to use Hamlet to do that. So, you know, it's a great vehicle to hop in and see how this should be or shouldn't be, depending on your opinions, done. One of the things that um, going back to Hamlet, and it's a pretty consistent theme and you see it really from the beginning of the play uh, where it's the father-son relationships. That's something that is very much explored in this play because you have Hamlet and his own father because, you know, ghost of father's past is uh, is haunting the son of present to kill the, quote, father of future. Like, because that is the climax point. Don't know that I ever mentioned that. The climax point of the play is Claudius dying. So... There's that. If you didn't figure out that there was going to be death be- when she, when Sierra said that this was a tragedy, I'm sorry that you missed that very strong hint. Tragedy of <laughs> Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Denmark really going through it in this play. <laughs> but another father-son relationship um, that you have is Laertes and his father, Polonius Mm. and Polonius is the father of Ophelia which therefore also makes Laertes the brother of Ophelia and they both feel some kind of way because of how Hamlet is treating Ophelia but Hamlet is literally going through some massive teenage angst and a lot of confusing feelings because he's trying to figure out do I believe this ghost? Is this telling is this ghost telling me the truth? And so there's a lot of, you know, like throughout the play of Hamlet trying to figure out is the ghost is the ghost real? Is the ghost being honest? Yeah. There's a lot of Hamlet the struggle I think he goes through is like is this my reality? Am I really living in this world? Mm-hmm. And knowing this thing 
And now I have to determine, is this fact or is it something I've invented? Which is right. kind of the the crazy part of Hamlet. The craziness that you can play that he's almost invented this for himself. Well, and it's like, is is all of this coming out of grief? Because... Yeah. I mean, anybody who has ever lost a family member that is close to them, there is going to be a level of grief and grief can manifest in so many different ways. So why not have the grief manifest as a ghost telling you, you should kill your uncle Mm -hmm. because your uncle killed me. Yeah, it's that, oh, well, I think this to be true and I will convince myself that it is true because it makes me feel better Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of of the question of like appearance versus reality and like Mm -hmm. again another way to play the character of Hamlet is to determine you know do you want him to do you want the audience to believe that he is truly this is all based in fact this ghost is real Mm -hmm. it's telling him all these things Mm -hmm. Or do you want the audience to believe that Hamlet has just gone nutty because he's distraught over the death of his father? Right. Well, and that's where you can like compare and contrast uh, Hamlet and Laertes because both of their fathers die at some point in the play. For Hamlet, it's before we even actually start the play, but it's something we learn at the beginning so we already kind of see where the character of Hamlet's coming from. And so you have Hamlet, who's your thinker, and he's looking for the evidence to make sure that he's acting on truth. It's not just a, oh, well, here's a whim. We're just going to do it. Yeah. Where Laertes, he's a little bit more of your party boy. He's going to be more action over thought, and he just kind of does things. Yeah. He didn't really think twice about challenging Hamlet to a duel to the death. No, not at all. He was like, I'm just, okay. And it all comes. You slighted me and I will fight you. And it all comes out of the fact that Hamlet accidentally murders Polonius. It is an accident. Because Hamlet thought it was Claudius that was coming in, but it was really Polonius and it ends up being stabbed through the curtain. Listen, this all could have just been avoided if Hamlet had just done it in the first place. I don't know. Hamlet's, ah, Hamlet's biggest flaw to me is, oddly enough, procrastination. <laughs> he spends so long oh, he trying way to too sort much. of talk himself either onto the ledge or off of the ledge, um, whichever way you really want to take that. And I think that's why he ends up accidentally murdering Polonius because he's he's talked himself through the situation so many times that I think he's almost sort of driven himself crazy trying to determine if this is the right thing to do. And I'm like, just you should have just done it, my dude. <laughs> like yeah. the ghost told you to do it, you should have just done it, and we would have been done this play would have been done a long time ago. <laughs> but of course it's not the point of the play, but like he's his biggest flaw is definitely that he is an overthinker and a procrastinator mm-hmm. to, to the max. And then Laertes is the exact opposite where he does a lot yeah. of things without thinking. He's, yeah. And then you have another character that comes in towards the end of the play, which is Fortinbras. And Fortinbras is 
uh, a prince from a distant land that's coming to like kind of figure out what's going on yeah Um, and a little bit kind of a little bit conquering if i remember correctly but fortinbras is the balance of laertes and hamlet and so he's he listens to the whole situation before he actually like decides what's going on I mean, another, I mean, it's a th- kind of a theme throughout of the whole like concept of afterlife and what that looks like. Um, yeah. Sort of and, the mystery of death. Right. And um, in act three, scene one, it's, um, there's a little bit of time where they're talking about like the end of all suffering, but also the possibility that there is an afterlife that is worse than what is present life. Yeah. And that that just goes with like a lot of Shakespeare stuff where there's a, a subtlety of religious like influence mm-hmm. because you know the church is what controlled the uh, the crown and so you know the, all of these were kind of meant to appease the crown. Yeah, so, you want to talk about the play within the play scene? Yeah, if you ever want just for a laugh, honestly. Um, you need to look up the Reduced Shakespeare Company's rendition of Hamlet. It's hilarious from beginning to end, but the way that they do the play within a play scene is they turn it into a puppet show. <laughs> so for more context of of what of where we're at, because we've really just jumped around all over the place, which is totally fine. It honestly fits with Hamlet by jumping it's around all over the place. Um, but... The play within a play scene, it, Hamlet brings in this theater troupe f- to be entertainment, but he tasks the troupe of actors with a very specific play that depicts how Claudius killed Hamlet's father. Yes. And it's to, it's kind of the final straw that Hamlet is looking for to get Claudius to admit that this is what happened. And so, you know, Hamlet can actually like do something about it with the sock puppet show. They literally have like a part of it being the Menomina song. No, exactly. And so like, it's, it's honestly hilarious. And, Oddly enough, a little racy at certain times, but it's, you know, it. if you've never seen um, the complete works of Shakespeare abridged, I highly recommend, recommend it entirely. But yeah, I mean, there's also like the concept of maybe like the knowledge is the poison and it's knowing all of this that's kind of poisoned Hamlet's life and has made it to where He's pushed away things that are good because I know we haven't mentioned this yet. Ophelia drowns herself because she is in so much grief that Hamlet no longer loves her. Which I mean, Shakespeare loved himself a tragic love story. We already knew, but like, I mean, he wrote Romeo and Juliet. Come on. We've already discussed Romeo and Juliet. Um, He, I don't know. He lives for this type of drama. 
And I'm like, sir, I do not need some pasty boy who is not really all there in the head <laughs> to tell me he loves me. There's a lot. I mean, the whole character of Ophelia, you could really deep study her within herself, mm-hmm. which, I mean, there are uh, adaptations that do sort of discuss Ophelia a little bit more because she's her own enigma of what is reality and what is truth and also what is love because like she's just made herself distraught over Hamlet and it's like well did Hamlet ever I I mean he gave you some tokens there's sort of again the what (laughs) and he that goes back a little bit more to like Romeo and Juliet type Mm-hmm. Of of what is love and what is affection and what is just make believe, right? Because you are a teenager. What what part of your brain are you uh, are you allowing? How are you feeling the? You? Yeah. How are you allowing yourself to feel the emotions that you feel, but yes. not necessarily act on all of them? Yeah. Now we're going to dive into some adaptations. I don't think we're going to deep dive into any of them. Um, We're just going to, you know, kind of talk through casting because there's definitely a number of these. I was a little surprised at the number that exist of Hamlet adaptations. Not because like, oh, well, why would anyone want to adapt this? I just didn't realize that there were this many. This many, yeah. There's a lot. There's a, there's a, I I was looking through the list. I was like, wow, this is an aggressive number of Hamlet adaptations, which is just odd considering, I I just feel like we don't adapt enough of Shakespeare's other works and that Mm -hmm. Hamlet was the one that everybody was like, we're going to make a lot of these. I mean, it's right up there with Romeo and Juliet. For whatever reason, the tragedies seem to be the ones that get adapted most often. I don't know, but the fact that there's not enough adaptations of A Midsummer Night's Dream or Much Ado About Nothing. Much Ado About Nothing really hurts my heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yes, we can talk about But So the first adaptation on the list was made in 1948, and it stars Laurence Olivier. And according to IMDb, Laurence Olivier also directed it. And it, he's not necessarily credited, but he apparently wrote like adapted Shakespeare's script for this adaptation. Um, and you know, surprise, surprise, Lawrence Olivier is Hamlet Prince of Denmark. Then you have Jean Simmons as Ophelia. And let's see how I'm going through all of these names. Um, Cause a lot of these names that are on this list are not necessarily yeah, Peter Cushing is Osric, but again, you get more of Peter Cushing later in in life. <laughs> a lot of people who are in this movie are uh, the like sort of background people or the people who actively become actors later. I mean, Laurence Olivier for his time was a, a great actor, but like, yes. it did win four Oscars. So, mm-hmm. uh, you have. Norman Woodland, who is Horatio, 
That was the name I could not remember. Horatio is the person at the top of the play who tells Hamlet, hey, you're, the ghost of your dad is on the roof. Uh, Felix. <laughs> Felix Aylmer uh, is Polonius. Uh, Terence Morgan is Laertes. So that those are kind of like your key players. I mean, there are plenty others. Uh, it does not look like, based on their cast, that they ever uh, casted Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, which, in all honesty, isn't like that big of a deal. They have a very minor part in the play. Really, their sole purpose is to try and take Hamlet away because that's what it is, which is where we get Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Very um, fun. Much more fun than Hamlet. <laughs> Lion King one and a half Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead literally we can talk about how the Lion King just took Shakespeare and decided to do it with animals that Ophelia doesn't die in the Lion King and this was the first of 22 films in which Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing both appeared Christopher Lee was a spear carrier in this adaptation <laughs> love that for him and then I think they got they got to you know reunite in Star Wars <laughs> All righty, moving on to the next one. Uh, the next adaptation was made in 1990. It was directed by Franco Zeffirelli, and it was adapted for this adaptation by Christopher DeVore and Franco Zeffirelli. Uh, this one stars Mel Gibson as Hamlet, oh. Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Close as Gertrude, Helena Bonham Carter as Ophelia. Yeah, know that. Uh, Stephen Delane as Horatio, Nathaniel Parker as Laertes. This one they do, um, they do cast Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Sean Murray is Guildenstern, and Michael Maloney is Rosencrantz. I only know of this adaptation. I've never actually watched it, but I only know of this adaptation from Clueless because she mentions it when she's arguing with, uh, oh my god, his name just Josh. Josh is girlfriend at the time uh who says it's like hamlet said to thine own self be true and she was like mm, hamlet didn't say that <laughs> and the girl's like i think i remember hamlet correctly and she and Cher literally goes yeah and i remember mel gibson correctly and he didn't say that that felonious guy did and it is probably the only reference to that movie i know <laughs> but it's funny because you know everybody thinks Cher's an idiot but she remembers that that wasn't said by hamlet which is facts it is 100% facts. Um, because of Mel Gibson. What a life yeah, choice. I've, I've also never seen this adaptation. Don't need to. I'm not really sure that I want to see Mel Gibson as Hamlet or Helena Bottom Carter as Ophelia. Not that Helena Bottom Carter is not an amazing actress. I just, I don't know. In my brain, when it comes to Shakespeare, she is in Twelfth Night. Yeah. I will say I think she's an excellent choice for Ophelia because Ophelia is a little um, wacky. Very. In the fact that she goes a little crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Helena Bonham Carter would be a good choice for her. But yeah, no, I agree with you. She will always be in Twelfth Night. Mm -hmm. Brilliant in that movie. I can't wait to talk about that. Oh, man. Um in this version, Hamlet's to be or not to be speech comes after meeting with Ophelia uh, with the whole get thee to a nunnery speech. But in the play, 
Shakespeare has the monologue directly before the get thee to a nunnery speech. Yeah, never, never feel the need to see Nil- Mel Gibson play Hamlet. Not, not, not on the docket Mm-mm. for me. Uh, now we get to 1996, which is Kenneth Branagh's adaptation of uh, of Hamlet, which is the one that I remember watching in high school when um, when I studied Hamlet in high school. And you know, Kenneth Branagh is just as we've yeah. said many a times and on the you, podcast. We all knew we were going to talk about Kenneth Branagh because we're talking about Shakespeare. Yeah. So he directed and adapted it for the screen. Um, he also starred in it as Hamlet. Shocking. Um, we ha- <laughs> I know. So in this adaptation, um, we have Richard Briers as Polonius. We have Julie Christie as Gertrude. Um, Billy Crystal is the first grave digger, which <laughs> we keep mentioning like random grave diggers, but like there is a whole scene and it's when it's alas, poor York, I knew him well. That's the importance of the grave digger. Yes. Um, you also have when Ophelia is being buried. That's another like instance. So, you know, there is, you know, motive and method behind the Gravedigger Madness. But anyways. Robin Williams is in this. He plays Osric, which is, again, an interesting mm-hmm. little moment. You have Nicholas Farrell as Horatio. Derek Jacobi as Claudius. Oh, we're forgetting Ophelia herself. Yeah, you have Kate is- Winslet. Kate Winslet in this adaptation. Yes. I was eventually getting there as it's going <laughs> down the list. A, yeah. It was she's just like for whatever reason she's listed bottom, at the bottom. For yeah. some reason. But I mean like if you're looking so, at like the top cast she's listed yeah, she's in the top. But when you actually like cast, look at the, the full thing it's it's organized funny. Which I mean this was not this was very much before the height of Kate Winslet's career. So it's not really shocking that mm-hmm. not ne- she's not necessarily listed at the top. Right. Oh, and Richard Attenborough is in it. He plays an English ambassador, which is like not a huge role, but it's just interesting to me that Richard Attenborough is in this book. The ghost of Hamlet's father is played by Brian. I don't know if you pronounce his last name as Blessed or Blessed. It's spelled Blessed, but you know, you could pronounce it either way, I guess. But he was Antonio in Much Ado About Nothing. So, you know, it's just yeah. fun seeing. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is really kind of the king of um, lots of the same people. Yes. Whenever he can. So apparently Robin Williams and Billy Crystal were not allowed to be on the set at the same time during filming because there was fear that they would crack up and the cast and crew um, would not be able to actually, like, do anything. I believe that. Believe that 100%. 100%. 100%. At four hours and two minutes, this is one of the longest Hollywood movies of all time. It's a long movie because there's uh, definitely something to be said about Kenneth Branagh that he really likes to definitely try to get the substance of Shakespeare's plays completely. Like um, if he if he makes any changes at all, they are truly insignificant changes. Yes. They are not major plot altering changes. He almost makes these movies um, to be as if you were watching a stage production that just happens to take place on like a set rather than a stage. Yeah. It's a live, it's a live movie, sort of, is how I think he wants it to feel. So apparently Kate Winslet didn't audition for Ophelia. 
but she had auditioned for the role of Elizabeth in Branagh's um, Frankenstein adaptation that was released in 94. And so Branagh remembered her from that audition and just asked. Hey, I mean, if I saw Kate Woods do anything, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd be like, I don't really need you to audition. Will you just be in it? Thank you. The soliloquies spoken by Hamlet are almost all shot in one uninterrupted cut, except for the to be or not to be speech, which I think is just impressive anyways. Yeah, but I think that's, you know, I mean, that's Kenneth Branagh. We can say what we want about Kenneth Branagh, but he is an impressive actor and he knows his Shakespeare. This is true, but like... Knows I don't know that it would really necessarily matter who it is. Just the fact that that was what they strove, like that's what they were striving for. Like... But not everybody could do that. To do anything in one continuous shot, especially when they are the soliloquies that Shakespeare has written... It, it is truly impressive regardless of who it is and, and regardless you, of how well-known they are for whatever it is. Shakespeare loved the soliloquy for Hamlet. One of the things I do remember when I watched this um, in high school was thinking it was so odd that um, Branna's hair was so white. It it's was, really white in this. It's, it's a weird platinum blonde. It's far blonder than he, like, genuinely is. Yes. It, in a way, it kind of, like, makes him stand out a little bit more. Yeah. Because, like, it doesn't even match, like, the facial hair that he has. Like, it just, it, it's, it almost is maybe meant to highlight that Hamlet is going crazy. Even though you never actually see his hair color change in the movie. It's just this odd platinum blonde. On to the next adaptation, which came out in 2000. And it's a modern take that was directed by Michael Amaridia. I'm I'm not sure that I... I'm pretty confident that I butchered that last name. But um, the guy also adapted it for screen. This one stars um, Ethan Hawke as Hamlet. And I there almost want to like made in this movie. I almost want to watch it because of it, <laughs> but I've I've never seen this adaptation. But no, um, I think the most interesting choices in this movie are Bill Murray as Polonius and Julia Stiles as Ophelia. Although this was very much the height of Julia Stiles' fame, yes. So it's understandable why she was cast as Ophelia. She just doesn't come across as an Ophelia to me. Again, I've never watched it, so it's very possible she did an excellent job. Um, And the thing is, I I guess Julia Stiles just has kind of like this thing for modernization of of Shakespeare plays because she was in 10 Things I Hate About You, which is Taming of the Shrew. Um, She was also in an adaptation of Othello. Yeah. And so, you know, it just... She apparently has a thing for playing modernized version of Shakespeare women. Steve Zahn as Rosencrantz. Wonderful. <laughs> Just wonderful. <laughs> I know Leave Schreiber is in it. He plays Aertes. I'm like, what a good choice. Mm-hmm. He comes across very much like he would just be ready. He'd be like, I'm going to muddy you. You have Casey Affleck as Fortinbras. 
which I haven't seen Casey Affleck in a ton of things, but I don't know. It just feels like a choice. I agree that I think it's, a, I mean, Casey Affleck in general is a choice, but I agree that I think uh, <laughs> that's uh no, he is in general a very much a choice for anything. I mean, like you can tell without even like digging in too much of it, that it is a modernization of it. Um, yeah. I mean, because of the, the movie the poster alone. Picture of it, yeah. But apparently Ethan Hawke, when, um, when this movie came out, was the youngest actor to ever play Hamlet on film. And that was at the age of 29. Which is crazy because when you think about how old Hamlet but actually the thing is. is like, well, the thing is, is Hamlet's apparently supposed to be, like, based according to this little tidbit, he's supposed to be 30. But all of his actions honestly feel like he's a teenager. The teen angst that 30-year-old Hamlet feels. Like, I don't know where this idea of original text says he's supposed to be 30. Where did we get this from? Truly. Please point it out to me because, because I've in my been own understanding, Hamlet. And yeah. Where does it say that? It feels more like he's meant to be like Maybe 17, 19. 18. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like it, between that 17 and 19 year old range. Like it's that end of high school going off to college area of life that it feels like Hamlet's yeah. supposed to be. We're going to, we're going to drop some knowledge on ourselves today. Okay. The most overt mention of Hamlet's age, the grave digger scene. Hamlet says, how long hast thou been a grave maker? Clown says, of the days, if, year i came to that outlast king hamlet overcame fortinbras hamlet says how long is that since clown says cannot you tell that every fool can tell that it was the very day that young hamlet was born follow the litter later with i have been sexton here man and boy 30 years okay hey we learned we getting some knowledge and this matches with the antidote about York. Uh, according to the gravedigger York, Skull has lain in the earth three and twenty years. And Hamlet says, he has borne me on his back a thousand times. Figures then that York died when Hamlet was about seven. There are some significant textual variations in the other versions, though. For instance, in the first quattro, quattro, <laughs> quartu, sorry, the conversation between Hamlet and the gravedigger is a lot shorter. There's no reference to the day that Hamlet was born or to how long the gravedigger has been sexton. But York's skull is referred to when the sexton digs it up and says, Look here, look you, here's a skull, has been here this dozen year, a ever since our last King Hamlet slew Fort and Bras in combat. If it's not explicit, but if York has only been dead twelve years, it does suggest a younger Hamlet. So I guess it just depends. I mean, I on the way that they want to go with it. I'd really, I really think I'd have to like, I'd have to find like Shakespeare's original text that hasn't really been messed with mm-hmm. and really go through it and see whether or not the gravedigger scene is longer or shorter. Because that then would put Hamlet being in his 20s. Yeah, because the, the Which issue some of this is would still make sense because you still lot. have the development of. The development of the male brain still happening, good chunk of the 20s. So. Yeah. Fun so human development fact. It seems like it's sort of subjective depending on the version you read. But also everybody calls him young. There's so many different 
Mm-hmm. He gets called young Hamlet. Uh, he is young, young blood, mad young man. So it's the question of, are they calling him young or are they differentiating him from his father who was also Hamlet? I think it's a mix of both. Yeah. So there is some questions around how old exactly Hamlet is. Ambiguity. Shakespeare's favorite thing. Moving on to 2009. The Royal, uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company put a modern spin on Shakespeare's Hamlet in a filmed-for-television version of the stage production, which was directed by Gregory Doran, and it stars David Tennant as Who Hamlet. Who we love. And it has um, Patrick Stewart as Claudius. Brilliant. Uh, Penny Downey as Gertrude. Mariah Gale as Ophelia. Edward Bennett as Laertes. Uh, Oliver Ford Davies as Polonius. Uh, I think interestingly, Mar- Mariah Gale is the person who sticks out because I'm like, all I really recognize her from is Death Comes to Pemberley because she plays Wickham's sister. I would really like to find where I can watch this. Right? Let's see. Um, and it was nominated for a primetime Emmy. For the framed skull monologue where Hamlet finds and speaks to the skull of Yorick, David Tennant is using the real skull of Andre, I cannot pronounce his last name, there's way too many consonants in that, um, who donated it in his will for this purpose. Oof. Can you imagine putting it in your will that you want your skull to be used in Hamlet? Hamlet. (laughs) I mean... Hey, some people just really like Shakespeare. Um, I will say if you want to watch this, you can buy it on Amazon Prime or Vudu. There you go. And Sir Patrick Stewart reprised his role of Claudius from Hamlet, Prince of Denmark in 1980, which is the version that um, Sir Derek Jacobi played Hamlet. I feel like we missed an entire... And probably just because all the ones we've talked about so far are literally just titled Hamlet. Yeah. If they're titled anything else, they're things that we haven't. um... So we'll take a slight detour and briefly talk about 1980 because it was a TV movie directed by Rodney Bennett. Looking over this cast list, I'm not really seeing anybody else that jumps out other than Derek Jacobi and Patrick Stewart, which is the whole reason why. Um, Mm-hmm. We hopped over to look at this, so there's not really much else to to say about it. No, but because it's titled Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, it distinguishes it, itself just a tad, um, just a tad from all the other Hamlets. Jumping to 2015, we have um, the version that was produced for National Theatre Live, which if you're not familiar with National Theatre Live, it is um, it is a group that takes a bunch of different plays from a vast variety of things. I've seen quite a few things through it, and they will broadcast it to different movie theaters so you can see live theater production, but you're not having to, you know strain your eyes to try and actually see what's on the stage, depending on where you are at in the theater. Um, And the directors of this production were Lindsay Turner and Robin Lowe. This one stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Hamlet. I think his name is Kieran 
Hines as mm-hmm. Claudius. I'm not sure if I said that right. He's got a very um, interesting name. There's an accent in the middle of it. Yeah. C and Brooke plays Ophelia. Leo Bill is Horatio. Um, Anastasia Hill is Gertrude. Jim Norton is Polonius. I remember when they were advertising this one. I just never got around to going to see it. And I'm kind of sad that I missed the opportunity to see Benedict Cumberbatch play Hamlet. Moving on to the next adaptation, which was a TV movie uh, in 2018 that was directed by Robert Ick, Rhodey Hugh, I'm guessing, um, and Ilinka, um, I'm not sure, um, Radulian. Definitely butchered that last name for sure. Probably butchered the second name too. Um, but in this adaptation, you have Andrew Scott as Hamlet, Juliet Stevenson as Gertrude, Jessica Brown Findlay as Ophelia, Luke Thompson as Laertes, Angus Wright as Claudius, um, David Rintoul as the ghost of Hamlet. Uh, Peter Wright as Polonius. Joshua Higgott is uh, Horatio. And Madeline Apia as Guildenstern. And Nikesh Patel as Fortinbras. Definitely a fun cast. I would love to see Jessica Brown Finley as Ophelia. She's just killer in like everything. She's a very impressive actress for sure. Yes. And then also, you know, Andrew Scott. So it's kind of funny to jump from the 2015 National Theater Live where you have Benedict Cumberbatch, who is probably most well-known for his uh, role as Sherlock. And then you have Andrew Scott, who played Moriarty in that same rendition of Sherlock. Both these men are playing Hamlet, and I just I want to see the ends with which they take it. But yeah, that's that's Hamlet. That is, in fact, Hamlet. With a little bit of other things mixed in, because, you know, we can. Uh, So thank you, Shakespeare, for writing Hamlet, even if it feels torturesome for those of us who had to read it in school to learn all the things. We appreciate that you wrote it anyways. Thank you to anyone who has made an adaptation, maybe is currently making an adaptation. It may or may not do well. Yeah. We might one day let you know how we feel. No promises. (laughs) No promises whatsoever. Um, As always, a big thanks to Zakaka for keeping us very pretty. He is the reason why uh, everything looks the way it does. And of course, thanks to all of you for tuning into League of Lit. Make sure you follow us at League of Lit Podcast on Instagram. If you have any suggestions for an episode, please feel free to leave a comment on leagueoflit.tumblr.com.